Welcome to the Kenmore Church Podcast. We are all about filling hearts and fueling mission. We hope this content builds your heart and mind and equips you to reveal Jesus in this season of your life. Okay, let's, let's complete this um, series, Culture of Honour. Now, I, the, the, the writer here is I've advertised, we're talking about authority today, uh, honouring authority, that's true, but that's only half the message. I'm going to try and, I've compacted that right in because as usual this morning, the Lord gave me the download of what he wants to talk about on top of that, and I said, could we not have this conversation on Tuesday? Um, <laughs> but uh, you've got to, we've got to follow what the Lord is saying right now, and, uh, and so I'd like to, it, it still fits in with this whole topic, but um, we just need to say what God is saying. So this is, uh, if you're new, this is your first time, we're talking into a culture of honour, what honour looks like biblically, what it, what it looks like to honour one another, to honour those uh, who would, we would normally say are below us in that sense, like the children, those we have authority over, um, how to honour God. And today we're looking about what it really looks like to honour authority, and this is where the rub really hits in Australia. Honouring authority is just not our MO. Uh, we, we, the higher someone seems to become, the, the easier the shots get, don't they? Uh, and so we find it easy to have a go. So let's, let's dive into this. The scriptures say, John 13, 20, Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. Whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. And so he's saying there, if you value, if you honour, if you accept the ones that Jesus has sent into your life, which might be those on a peer level, those above, those below, if we embrace them the way in, in honouring the value and the position that God's given them, there's a reward that comes from that. And so in this subject of honouring authority, this is going to mostly relate to, to us in our setting, um, in our workplace, or the way we relate to government and so on. This will, this will be mostly how we uh, grasp the application of this. Um, in biblical culture, it's often depicted as words like slaves and masters, which obviously we don't uh, have in our culture but we might feel like slaves under our masters at work. Uh, so you'll understand the dynamic and the parallels go along there. Romans 13, 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul gives us no wiggle room on this. No wiggle room at all. And uh, it's the most un-Australian verse you'll hear. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established, except the political parties. Uh, Except my boss at work, surely God, that guy is not there because of you. Well, apparently he is. The authorities that exist have been established by God. He says the same thing twice, so we get it. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we know these authorities are imperfect, but he's saying quite clearly they're there and God's put them there and there's a reason they're there and there's a reason we're under them. The authorities exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Ow! Ouch! Now that judgment takes many forms uh, and we won't be going into the detail of what judgment, all we know is we just don't want to go there. We don't want to position ourselves deliberately to be under some form of judgment. So let's rattle off quickly what these forms of authority are. First of all, there's obviously uh, civil authority. So these are the government, the government officials, elected officials, uh, non-elected officials like the police, the tax office. Um, that means we pay our tax, all our tax, uh, without complaint or trying to deviate from that. There's family authority. Honouring family can be a real trial, but you look at Ephesians 6, uh, and Paul says, honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment 
with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So he's saying that if we, if we engage in this spiritual process um, that comes with this reward of, of long life uh, and blessing and so on, and we saw in previous weeks that to honour, in this context especially, to honour means that I live my life in such a way that it makes their name great. It doesn't necessarily be connected intrinsically to obedience because sometimes those in authority above us will tell us to do things that go against Scripture or they might be abusive. It's not talking about that. It's having a submissive heart and honouring them with the value to which God has given them. And if we we do that, particularly with parents, we're living in such a way that people look at them and look at our life and say, you must have awesome parents. So it's it's honouring them. Uh, Thirdly, we have social authorities. So that's people like our teachers, uh, if you're in sport, your coach even, uh, your boss at work, and so on. We also have spiritual authority, and um, I'm looking forward to the point uh, in a month or two's time where we have elders, uh, we assign elders in our church uh, as that, that umbrella of spiritual authority in the church. It speaks really clearly about this in Scripture, particularly um, Paul's writings, 1 Thessalonians 5. Dear brothers and sisters, honour those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you. And give you spiritual guidance. Uh, 1 Timothy, the elders who direct the affairs of the church are well worthy of double honour, especially those who work, whose work is preaching and teaching. And you'll notice straight away that if you, if you sort of fail in this area where, where your honour is, is absent, you'll, um, you'll just find you don't reap the rewards from their ministry. This might be a teacher, a prophet, an apostle, a, a, a pastor, a, someone gifted in mercy, whatever it is. If, if, you, if the honour isn't there, and it's replaced by contempt, the reward of their ministry doesn't come. I've found this um, where I've had a message where I've preached in multiple contexts. It might be one in, in Africa, it might be in China, it might be in Australia, it might be in one church or another church, it might be in a home group, and you bring the same message, and yet you see different rewards from that teaching come. And, it's, and I can tell, as I've done one, particularly, say, for four or five different settings, you can see the response that comes that's available through that message, the truth that God brings, is reliant on the attitude through which the people who are listening steward that word and steward the presence of the person doing the delivery. And uh, it's, it's a hard rub, you know, because people don't like style, they don't like personality, and so we begin to judge. But, but he's, Paul's really saying here, even if you don't like the person, honour the position. And uh, this, this gets hard for us. But what we're doing, and by doing that, is in effect honouring the God who's placed them there and opening ourselves up to that. So God commands honour for our benefit. We honour because it brings better rewards from God than we can bring from our own efforts. So let's have a look at 1 Peter 2 and and talk into this, because this is an awkward message to bring, because I'm I'm sort of one of those authority-type people. Uh, So it's it's hard to bring this out without trying to, oh, I'm talking about everyone but me sort of thing. It's like, well, we've all got to do this, and we all have authorities over us. In, in many ways, uh, you're my authority. I have like 200 bosses now. So I'm looking forward to elders when I only have half a dozen. Uh, it's going to be great. So 1 Peter chapter 2, let's see what Peter says and understand that Peter, the context of this guy is in a place where the Christians and particularly him and the disciples have been executed, put in prison, tortured, misrepresented, um, eaten by lions and all this sort of thing. So he's talking about the authorities that are doing that to him and the people he cares for. Show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honour the emperor, that's Herod, 
Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. And that's that word for harsh, scolios, which means crooked, perverse, wicked, unfair, tyrannical and unjust. We'll have an altar call right now for all those who want to do that. And, uh, you know, he goes on. Why? That's the question. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure that? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. What's more, to this you were called. We often say, what's my calling? What does God want me to do? Well, apparently this is it or at least part of it, to be in proper submission to those that God's put above us. And um, there's something about it, and you look at what Peter's saying there, he's saying it's, it, it's not commendable if, you're all, uh, if you've got a good boss and it's easy. And remember, he's in the context, there's unbelievers around, there's believers around, and the thing that we're doing, just like in our workplace, if we all know when we've got a dodgy boss. We all know when the leadership's no good. We all know that, Christian or non-Christian. But when a Christian responds to it in a different way, there's an opportunity to show this is what the gospel can do in someone's life. He goes on, Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So he's talking now about uh, Jesus before Pilate. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, instead he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And so what happens if we activate this dynamic where even if they're completely wrong, even if it's completely harsh, we still, like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego say, look, King, you're preaching a load of of nonsense there, but we're going to submit to you. We we hope your reign lasts forever, but we can't go along with this. You know, we, we keep that submissive sort of heart. It puts that person in the hands of God who judges justly because if we're judging, if we're not in submission properly within our heart, we're doing God's job for him. We're kind of robbing this whole process where, where God has access to, that, to access to that person because he says, well, if you're going to judge them, I might just defend them because you're doing the judging, so I've got nothing else to do but defend. And so we start doing God, when we start doing God's job for him and we're not equipped to do it, it all gets unraveled really quickly. And so sometimes we'll find if we step forward into that place of judgment, God seems to step back and goes, well, let's just see how this works out until you can... Uh, work into, into my system here. So, but if we do honour people appropriately, it, it leaves them open to God dealing in their life. And uh, it sort of removes that barrier. And I think, honestly, I'd much rather be uh, copying your judgement than God's. You know? <laughs> uh, but this is the position uh, that we put ourselves in. So if we, have, if we are a person in authority, as the Scriptures say, there's, there's special judgement, there's, there's a special discernment God puts on us. You know, to teach what the Word really says. Handling the Word of God is, is an awful responsibility in that sense, an awesome and awful responsibility. Because if, if I misrepresent what Scripture really says, and it's just so easy to do, it's easy to grab a Scripture and pull it out of context, but, but I'm, I'm deeply accountable for that. And so pray for those of us who get the microphone, uh, that, that God would keep us humble, keep us accurate and not misrepresent what he's saying because the judgment is there. Um, but you want to leave us, leave people in authority to God. But the second element Peter's saying here is when we do that, we inherit the blessing. We've left that person to God and we inherit the blessing. Um, if you're here for the first week, you'll remember the story of um, 
where I had to submit under what was really quite, quite ordinary leadership for a, a, an extended period of time unjustly. But having broken through that, how God rewarded that incredibly. And, and uh, this can, only God can make up the stories. When you let him loose on a situation and he blesses your obedience, it's incredible what he can do. The, the other thing is it just grows your character in a way that no other situation quite will. There's nothing like working under... Um, if I use the word dodgy, you understand what I'm saying. Dodgy leadership. There's nothing, nothing else quite teaches you things like that situation. And what God wants to give you is a spiritual breakthrough that comes through that situation. Um, Peter goes on in chapter 4 of 1 Peter 1 and 2 and he says, Christ suffered in his body, so arm yourselves with the same attitude because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. He's saying if you go through this, there's, a, there's spiritual formation going on in you. There's something that God's doing in you. And I will never agree with abuse. I will never agree with, you know, never condone it. But there are just situations where the people above us are imperfect in their application of, of their role. And it will feel like we're being treated like dirt. Anyone know that feeling? It's like, I'm useless here. I'm just an object here. I'm being treated. I'm being discarded. I'm being disavowed. I'm being all this sort of stuff. But there's something about when you're treated like dirt that I've found, because I've experienced it too. What is often happening, besides what that person is doing, there's what God is doing. And what God is doing is, you think it feels like becoming dirt. For him, you're becoming soil for a new kingdom seed that he's ready to plant. He's forming you into a new soil. It feels like I'm dirt, but in God's kingdom, in his expression, you're becoming good soil. You're becoming soil because if you can be in submission to the one you can see, you're much more likely to go into submission for the one you can't see. And that's the point. We're honouring God by honouring them. And there's a formation that happens in our life where he's, he's producing in you good soil. So he wants to give you an upgrade. It's, everything is for the upgrade. If it feels hard, welcome the hardship because it's, a, it's an invitation to an upgrade. He's making you to new soil for a new kingdom seed, for a whole new thing that's coming one day. It won't stay the way it is. There's an illustration I love to use with this. Um, in the First World War, it's so dated now, but in the First World War, um, horses were still the main uh, cavalry. Is it cavalry? The light brigade, you know, the charging horses. And, and in many ways, we're like those horses. And you'd think, who do you want as the horse on the field when you're charging to the enemy? What do you, want? you want a fast, thoroughbred horse, the fastest horse you can possibly find that can duck and weave and do the stuff. And what they would do, they would take these horses through a process of breaking. Because when you're in a, in a battle and there's gunfire and there's screaming and, and there's ditches to jump over, the horse needs to respond to the slightest nudge of a knee. Doesn't, it can't hear the command, it just must respond to the nudge. And only a broken horse will do that. If they're a, a wild thoroughbred that won't be restrained, then that horse, no matter how well-bred it is, no matter how fast it is, no matter how gifted it is, if it's unbroken, it's useless in the war. And God wants to break us in, in just the most refining and beautiful sense so that we can feel his nudge. And so if we can obey him through that difficult situation, that's the sort of soil that he's making us into. And so that's, this is honouring all these levels of authority. How do you know if you're not honouring your leaders? There's a few little indicators, and you'll, you'll probably know. I've had to grapple with this as deeply as you probably have. You'll find yourself, you can't pray for their blessing with freedom and joy. You're praying that God would deal with them. You're praying that God would change them. 
that they would get their act together. But if you can't pray that God would bless them, that God would give um, true increase into their life, whether they're saved or not, it doesn't matter. That we pray, this is why we must pray for the, for the governing authorities. This is why we pray for all those in authority um, and pray for their blessing because it releases blessing in our life and it leaves them free to God. So if you can't do that, you'll probably find you're not quite in that submissive heart that God's after. You'll find that even if they do one day do something right, you're still not happy. You know how we, we demonise people, we objectify people, they become that person. The, the management team becomes them. Ever use that term? Oh, they don't know what they're doing. Those people in the offices, those, those suit-wearing, um, detached, pale male and stale board members or whatever that we call them, you know, it's like them. They're not people anymore. They're depersonalised. It's, the, it's just that group. And... Um, uh, Eventually, we, we so objectify them that they become sort of black. They have no value. They have no personality. And so even when they do do something right, we, we can't rejoice in that because it's them now. It's that black person. We've labelled, we've demonised them and so on. Uh, we'll find that we, in every conversation about them, we consistently find ourselves dishonouring them, you know, pulling them down, reminding everyone as if we didn't know of people's faults. And we can't talk about them in an honouring way, in a balanced way. And so we can't control those conversations. So I'll leave that there with honouring authority. You will know and God will speak to you about that. But I find in that process and sometimes the heart process of getting this right can take weeks, months, sometimes it's instant. I know for myself there was almost a, uh, a 12-month process at times where I just had to find myself, let the horse in me get broken in all the right ways, so I could be more useful to God. But what I want to talk to you about as we, we wrap up the series, because when we talk about honour, it can feel like in lifting others up, in honouring someone above myself, I'm, I'm requiring to be putting myself down. That I'm requiring to honour them means I must dishonour myself. And we misquote the scriptures almost like we do of Jesus, where it says, you know, he must increase, therefore I must decrease. That's not what John was saying. John was saying, Jesus' ministry must now come to the fore. My ministry is now winding down. He wasn't saying I'm useless. He wasn't saying I, I, I must become nothing. He was, saying, he was talking about ministries there. And so we need to talk about what it means to honour yourself. Because you, you'll find you can't honour people if you aren't able to honour yourself. Mark 12, Jesus says, uh, love the Lord your God. The second command is, is this, to love your neighbour as yourself. Somehow in this Christian obligation thing that we do, we feel like it can never be about me. Um, and to live this thing out, I so die to self, I almost die. And uh, it's not what he's talking about. We need to, you can't give love unless you experience and feel love. If you don't know love, you can't give it away. All, the best you can do is fake it. So you need to know this love. You need to know honour yourself. Now, the reason we battle with this is our sense of honour comes by default from the world standard, and the world standard is I get honoured if I perform better, if I look better, if in comparison to everyone else, I'm doing better. And so I value myself based on that, whereas in the kingdom, honour is based on something else, which is identity. It's who I am. It's whose I am. My value is, is based in that, not on performance. And so my, I've got to get that value from who God says I am, and I, and I begin to embrace that. You know, there's this funny thing about fathers and their kids, that kids 
get their self-worth from who they believe, this is very general, I know, but from who they believe their father sees them to be. So if, not, not reality. It doesn't need to be reality. It just needs to be the perception. I, my identity comes at its most foundational roots from who I believe my father believes me to be. And, so, and, that's, and that's true. We need to get our identity from our heavenly father. Who, who does he believe me to be? Now, those of us who share my sort of history where there was no present father or there was a, an abusive father or whatever it was, this becomes a, an insecurity that rattles around us like a nut in a shell. And we can never quite resolve this because we just don't know. Or we think our father must think we're useless or trash because he never valued me. He was never there for me and all that kind of thing. And so we need a, we need a heavenly revelation of who we are and whose we are. And God is well able to do that, well able to do that uh, through many ways. So let's have a look for a moment at how, at how God wants to honour you because he wants you to be honoured appropriately in accordance with who you are and who he's called you to be. And I want to use as an example for this Judges chapter 6. This is the calling of Gideon. Now Gideon was, uh, this is a hard time in Israel's history. The, um, the other tribes were coming in and routinely um, stealing all their grain and doing all the things. So, so Gideon at this stage is just camped out in a wine press somewhere, uh, out of sight, secretly threshing his, his grain and so on. He's hiding away. He's lost hope in God. He, they know that they're supposed to be God's people, but it's like, where was God when I needed him? I need to take initiative on this sort of thing. So this is where God meets him. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree at Ophrah, and that belonged to Joash the Abiezerite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. So there's Gideon hiding out. You know, don't let anyone get what I got. And here comes God and says, uh, The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. The Lord's really with you, mighty warrior. And it almost sounds cynical. And Gideon's going, Who are you talking to? I'm here hiding out. I'm not making a, a secret of this thing. I don't trust God. I don't trust man. And I'm, and I'm afraid. But God's word to him seemed to be a complete opposite. Because God can only speak in terms of honour. It's against his DNA to tune into a conversation that's full of lies. So if you start trying to convince God that you're worthless, you mean nothing, that, that he's made a mistake in you, that, that your destiny's been forgotten, you start trying to talk to him on that wavelength, and you think, he's going, I can't hear you. He can't, I can't hear you. I'm not going to enter into that dialogue because it's fundamentally untrue. I'm not going to meet you in that place. He can only meet you from the way he sees you. And the father was seeing Gideon from this place. This guy's a mighty warrior. He's not acting like it right now. That doesn't mean that's who he is. He is a mighty warrior. And, uh, and the Lord's with you, mate. Well, I can't feel God. Where's God? And, and Gideon starts to enter this dialogue with him. So where was him? If, if God was with us, we'd be, we wouldn't be in fear like this. I wouldn't have to run away like this. And, and it's a great uh, chapter to read in your own time. So Gideon starts to remind uh, the angel... Uh, about his reality. He's saying, well, where was God? You reckon God's with me? I'm alone. I'm desperate. We're afraid. And as he's trying to remind God of how he's let him down, God's reminding him of who he is. You can see why we so seldom are able to hear what God is actually saying. Because we come to him from earth's troubles, from our pain, and we start trying to convince him or remind him of all that's wrong. And his, his perspective and his reality is so different. 
And we've got to sort of tune into all things are possible.fm. You know, it's like different wavelength, different wavelength, because he's not hearing that. It's like a, a barrister who hasn't gone through the bar yet trying to talk in court, and the judge says, I can't hear you. And talking louder doesn't help. He said, no, 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 you've got to understand, I can't hear you. You're talking a language, you're not qualified to speak, and I don't agree with what you're saying, I'm not going to enter into this dialogue. So if you want to dialogue with God, you've got to come at him from his perspective, from his, his wavelength, that he honours you, that he sees in you more than you see in yourself. And he saw in Gideon a mighty warrior, and, and God was more intent and committed to that destiny than Gideon was. And yet he never relents on that. He never stops calling uh, Simon out to be Peter, uh, Saul out to be Paul, Abram out to be Abraham. He, he never relents on that and on he will go. And so as we begin to understand honour and self-honour, we've got to see ourselves and believe what God says about us. We've got to see ourselves as who we are and whose we are. And then as Gideon did, if you know the story from Sunday school, he had to take a step in the strength, the small strength that he had that aligned with this destiny that God had for him. It's one thing to say, you're a mighty warrior and I want you to over, overcome the Midianites, but Gideon, you can't stay in the wine press to do that. You've got to get out. I'm going to do the fighting, but I need you to come and turn up. I need you to honour who you are. And when we do this, we need to begin to uh, think in terms of, okay, if this is who God's called me to become, if this is who I am, if this really matters, and I, I know now what I can fill my thoughts with and what I can't fill my thoughts with. I know what opportunities I can say yes to and which ones I, I should say no to because they don't honour who I am. And God's calling me to become this person. He's, if he's made you creative, don't immerse yourself in a career path that's, that's going to destroy creativity and, and that you're going to basically be no good at because you, you need to honour who God's made you to be. It's called focusing on strengths. And so this is the way we begin to mould our life. And, um, but what it will require us to do often is invest sacrificially in what matters deeply to you, in, in this core, to honour this core of who God's made you to be and to invest sacrificially in that. So David on the hillside, young David, 16, here's Goliath, a story I just love coming back to. David honoured who God had made him to be. God had made him a worshipping warrior. It didn't matter that he was four foot nothing and Goliath was you know, as big as he was. He had to honour, I've got to do what I've got to do here because I can't exist and, and suck the same oxygen this guy is. One of us is going to be ended today, but I'm going to be who I am. It's bouncing off this irresistible core. I must be who I am. I must fulfil this journey that God's got for me to do. And it makes it easier for you to say yes and say no, and I won't be treated like this. I won't allow this to happen in my life. I'm not going to invest in these sorts of things, but I will invest in these sorts of things. And so you had to, there's this honour, like David sacrificed to honour who he was. It all could have gone pear-shaped. Um, but we, just, we begin to, as we begin this journey of, of honouring self appropriately, um, we realise this is a partnership here. Uh, this, is, this is, I'm turning up, but God's doing the work. Um, this church is an example of that. You know, it's, it's ridiculous what, what the Lord is doing in his own way, and own time. No one can take responsibility for that, but he's honouring the leaders that have come in and been a part of us from the early days, and that team is growing all the time. But, but as we, we're, just, we're just turning up. We just, God, God's building his church, but we've got to turn up and honour who he's made us to be, who he's made you to be as well, because you're playing a part in all this now as well. And so honouring of self, uh, it's, a, it's a hard word to bring, it's a hard thing for us to understand but he's made you beautifully and wonderfully made 
You know, you may look in the mirror and not agree with that um, in the morning. I know it gets harder the older I get. Man, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. But um, we've got to see ourselves the way that God sees you. I mean, how much more of a price does he have to pay to demonstrate the honour that he had in your life? He gave it all up. He can't give any more to have time with you. And he's investing your, your life, that whole time, this breadth that you've got, whether it's short or long, he's investing, he's giving you that opportunity and time and space to honour this person that he's called you to become. And it might take sidetracks sometimes, but he's, he's, he's taking you somewhere and your life matters. Your individual life really matters. So as we wrap up this series, and I do need to wrap up, I'm aware I've kept the kids too long and so on. And, and, um, but ultimately, this whole idea of a culture of honour, if you could boil it down, it means we're recognising the name of someone. We're, we're seeing in them the gold. We're seeing a warrior in a Gideon in a wine press. Um, we're looking at ourselves and we're refusing to value ourselves based on our failures and who the world defines us to be, whether we're attractive or rich or whatever. And we're saying, no, my value is ultimate democracy here. One person, one value, all as valuable as one another. And that stages of authority and position have no implication on that. Appearance has no implication on that. Job description, uh, success, each one valued the same but each one valued incredibly. So when you lock eyes with someone on the escalators at the shopping centre, remind yourself, value of this person. Stop for the one. To remember that I'm not, I'm not just functioning and people are assets in my game, that everyone matters, that I honour the name that God's called them to be, to value God's opinion and to see that gold and our role as, as namers made in the image of God is to call out that name and to honour people in Jesus' name. So what I'd like to do is close in prayer and the band will come up and um, I'd just like us to be able to pray because when it all boils down with, with this sort of thing, what we find is that it's one thing to talk about honour, but I can pretty much guarantee in your life you've been dishonoured. You have not been valued the way God values you. The people around you, the church you've been in possibly, the workplaces you've been in, school where you've been bullied, parents who haven't valued you the way you should be, you have been dishonoured at some point and somewhere. And some of you are starkly aware of it. The insecurity rattles around like a nut in a shell. Others, we don't think so. We've masked it somehow because we've just become ambitious. We're just driven. I'm just, I'm, I'm just on this path to just doing what I'm doing. Why are you so driven? Why do we do that? That's not normal. It is in the West because we've, we've, we've lifted that up and say, isn't that an awesome man? Look how, look how driven they are while their family withers away and doesn't know that they're worth anything. We do that because we, we don't understand honour. Why do we fight for Instagram selfies? Why do we want the likes and all the stuff? It's because we don't understand the value that we have. We don't need anyone else's likes. We don't need a job description that says I'm awesome. I don't need to look in the mirror and go, man, I'm the handsomest guy on earth. It's, it's completely irrelevant to my honour, to my value and to yours. You have been dishonoured. So what I'd like to do while we pray is just invite the Holy Spirit to reveal to you again, maybe for the first time, the worth of you, the identity of you, the value of you. So can we do that while we pray? Let's come together. Father, only you can reveal to us what you think of us. Father, the cross demonstrated it. But somehow we look at the cross and we go, 
you had to do that because I'm so bad, rather than understanding that you had to do that because we're so valuable to you. So Lord, I really pray for each one here who has been dishonoured. And Father, this is an archetype over our nation, where by default we defer to dishonour. We defer to only valuing those uh, who the media somehow values. But Father, we need to value those we disagree with. We need to value those uh, we don't like. We need to value the political party that we didn't vote for. And we need to value the person who voted for them. We need to value our boss who just seems to have disproportionate control over our life. And yet, Father, they're a human being that you died for on the cross. They're a human being that you are calling. So we bless them. Father, we bless them. Not because they deserve it based on our assumptions, but because you say, and we want to honour them and release them into your hands. Father, will you bless the authorities that are over us? And even though we're an autonomous body here as a church, I want to bless the churches of Christ in Queensland who've taken a, a, a radical, fearful step of putting a, a group of people in a room every Sunday, not knowing how it would turn out. Lord, I want to bless every church that's around us. We're all in this thing together. There's no winners and losers. Bless everyone in the kingdom. Lord, we bless our government. We pray for our leaders. Lord, would you give them insight? Will you give them wisdom? And will you give them leadership? that goes beyond the fear of democracy and being voted out at the next poll. Father, we pray for our police force and the fire brigade and the ambulance and, and all those who protect us. Lord, will you bless them? We honour them today. Lord, we think of our parents. Whether we feel they deserve it or not, Father, we bless them. Will you bless them? Pretty safe to say they've done the best they could. Father, we leave them in your hands. May our life represent them well but Father now it comes to us Lord most of us too many of us are driven in our life by insecurities that have come from the pain from the abuse from being let down from being criticised from being torn down instead of lifted up most of us don't believe what you say about us and most of us can't even hear it so Lord we choose right now to come in an opposite spirit Father, I pray we would set aside value based on performance and people's words, the insults and all that. Father, we set that aside and we come into alignment with you that we are valuable. We're as valuable as anyone else and that value is high. Lord, I pray you'd reveal to each one here the truth of what you were thinking when you made them in their mother's womb. Show them, Father, the look on your face as you look upon them right now. The look of a father who would do anything for, the, for his children. Lord, the little ones that are making noise up the back there, Father, I bless them. I love it. And you love it. Let the little ones come. We don't want to get religious on this thing. Father, we value each one. Lord, I value, I honour the sound guys at the back. Hardest job in the church. Lord, meet them right there and show them their value. We bless them, Father, in Jesus' name. We bless the musos and the singers. 
We bless those who brought communion today. I bless everyone who's just turned up because you're going to play an important part in the body as you walk out of these doors and bless someone else. Father, will you reveal to them the value that they have based on who they are and whose they are. And I pray upon all of us a blessing. I pray on your destiny, on your dominion and your design. I bless it as God in heaven would bless it. I pray that you would prosper in everything that you do. I pray that your relationships would prosper. I pray that your fortunes would prosper for God's kingdom. I pray that you'd know fullness in your relationships, fullness in your career, fruitfulness in all that you do. I honour you and I bless you as God's children. May you flourish for the sake of the world and advance the kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Let's enjoy some time of worship.